Hey y'all, Liz Higgins here, and welcome to the Millennial Life Podcast, where my main goal is to share conversations that will inspire you and drive you toward the life and relationship you desire. I'm here to share what I've learned as a licensed therapist and relationship coach specializing in millennial relationships and wellness, as well as transformative conversations with other professionals. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everybody. I am so excited to bring an interview episode back to the podcast. I've taken a few to- few of these last episodes to just sit with myself and put some messages out there for y'all. And today is a really special um, interview for me because I'm sitting here with one of the Millennial Life Counseling team members, Nia Nimmers. Hi, Nia. Thank you for hey. being here with me today. I'm so happy to be here. I am too. Nia is on our team. She's one of our licensed marriage and family therapist associates. Always a mouthful. Um, And she's a really incredible person. So I'm excited for this conversation we're going to have today about high conflict couples, which as therapists, we, we see a lot of. And just what some of those characteristics look like in relationship dynamics what people can do about those things if they're in a high conflict relationship. And I know this type of client is one of your passions. So I'm excited to, to hear you talk on that. Yes. One of my favorites. It's always funny to like be a therapist and say like, I love working with the highly conflicted people. (laughs) I know it feels backwards. It feels a little crazy, but yeah. Well, why don't you start by telling us a bit about you and what drew you into the realm of therapy and becoming a therapist? Yeah. So I have known what I wanted to do with my life for a long time. I was one of the lucky ones. Um, My parents got divorced in when I was in eighth grade um, and I had had a marriage and family therapist at that time. Um, and really did not have a great experience. And so I, one, didn't want other kids to go through what I was going through at that time. But then also, like, I just felt like that was not the way to be doing therapy and that I could do that, um, hopefully, in a more effective way. And so from then on, throughout high school and college, I have just been chasing this calling. And I also feel like it's just been my natural positioning. I'm a middle child, very true to that. Um, So always been a mediator, always been the person to help try to solve things and help people out. Oh my gosh. I knew we had like some connection going. I don't think I, I don't know if I knew that I'm totally a middle child too, Mm -hmm. or I was for a long time until the youngest of us four girls was born, but oh yeah, I feel you on that one. Yeah. Can, can I ask you, cause that's like really um, interesting to hear that at such a young age, you had this awareness of this is not helping me. This this therapy that I'm in is not maybe how it's supposed to go. What was happening that made that like kind of a negative experience? Yeah, well, there was some connection. And even now, as like someone going through the process of becoming a fully licensed married and family therapist, I don't fully understand. But he um, was supposed to be our representative in court um, during custody things. And so when we would be in sessions, it was like he wasn't at all listening to us. And he would ask us very pointed questions like, 
you obviously want to be with mom, you know, and, and the whole court system is kind of leaned in that way. Um, but we were obviously not wanting to choose between a parent or not. So he would take what he didn't listen to in session and then share that in court. So it'd be like, we were saying that we wanted to be with one person over the other. And um, so that would be relayed to us by, you know, a parent who felt like, oh, so you want to be with this parent? So it was just very, very messy. And yeah, not at all attentively listening to us or, you know, no games, no desire to really get to know us, kind of just like a formality. I have to meet with you so that I can go in court and say what I want to say anyways. So it was very interesting. Yeah, just as you're describing that, I'm like, oh, yeah, because so there was uh, some of that triangulation happening mm-hmm. with the kids, the therapist, and then each of the parents and just those webs start to create and he has to do his job, but you weren't, you knew something felt off about that, right. kind of the manipulation maybe at play around the legal stuff going on. Yeah, and I think about I know I have like a, a personal uh, relative that went through the the court experience and everything. And it's, it's so hard how that whole legal world is still um, just has so many layers and often isn't fair. I hate yeah. the word, but it's so true. You yeah, know? absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, so, okay. So that's something that it sounds like reaffirmed this calling that you had inside of you. What else has kind of led you to be so drawn to that world of relationships? Like, what have you learned about yourself as as you've gone through school and gotten into the field that's reiterated, that's where you want to be? Yeah, I feel like, I don't know. Like, it was just all throughout growing up. Like, I just automatically became the friend that, you know, everyone came to or wanted to talk to. I don't know, there's like a calm air about me or, you know, feels like I'll, I'll listen and not talk much. I've always been more of a listener than a talker. But even to like growing up and seeing healthy relationships, which was very, very rare, just always stood out to me. And I, I knew that that was like at the cornerstone or like the foundation of society. Like in the way that I see it, right, is like couples are so pivotal to society um, because out of couples comes families, right? And then out of their families comes more children and uh, more generations. And so I knew if, if we can tackle that, if we can, you know, pinpoint the issues going on there, then that should trickle into um, how you raise your kids and then how they raise their kids, you know, kind of starting at the bottom. Yeah, that's awesome. So you've been a systemic thinker for a really <laughs> long time. Yes, yes. Before I even you ended that up meant. in the right field, right? Yeah, you're in the right field. So I know we're going to talk today about high conflict couples, and you see a lot of that in your in your therapy practice. But I'm thinking about people listening to this episode who might be in a high conflict relationship and be aware of it, but also those that might be dealing with this in their partner relationship or other relationships and maybe don't have a great level of awareness that it is problematic or it is in an unhealthy space. So I thought we could talk a little bit about some of those characteristics of these types of relationships. What do you see that tells you this is like a high conflict relationship? Yeah. So I've seen, um, I think the main characteristic I've seen is like frequent trivial arguments. Um, Like when you feel like, 
you know, I just feel crazy. Like we're arguing every day. We can't get through one day without arguing or making each other upset um, or having a terrible fight. Uh, but it's never over anything deep, right? Like it, it's covering something up. So it's always about the trash or the dishes or what the house looks like or who took the car. Um, so having a lot of those frequent trivial arguments, I think is a huge one. And I think also like when you can't see your partner any differently, when they like have a reputation in your head and you're like, this is all like you only see through that one lens. So then everything that they say or anything that they do is like intentionally trying to hurt you or, you know, follows through with what you what you've kind of made them out to be. Um, and probably for for good reasoning, right? Because something's happened in the past, but they just can't beat that reputation and probably both ways also. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That last thing you said really struck me because I think that is one of the, I don't know how else to say it, but like worst places to be in your relationship is when you've made this decision about your partner that's in a very negative framework or negative light. It makes it really hard for you to be able to shift the way you're experiencing them. You just start to see them that way all the time. And going back to the first thing that you said, like frequent trivial arguments, I think I know exactly what you're talking about as I think about couples I've worked with. And what does that tell you when they're just arguing about like, like unimportant things like the trash, the laundry, the invitations for whatever, like what does that stuff tell you? Yeah, I think it just shows that there is so much under the rug that there's a mountain under their rug that they haven't actually had the real conversation, right? We haven't talked about what's actually wrong in our relationship. And so we have this mountain. And so like, we just argue about anything else because it would be really, really uncomfortable to actually talk about what's under there. If we lift that up and we take those things out, it's going to hurt more. It's going to be too deep, too vulnerable. And so often people are scared, scared to do that. And so one way that we can get those frustrations out or that anger out or those built up emotions and resentment out is to talk about the dishes. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know why you're talking. I'm like, you're going you're gonna to say something monumental here, but oh yeah, no, no, no. It's just, it's just the dishes. Right. We fight where we feel safe doing it. Mm-hmm and take those hardcore stances against each other, which almost makes it impossible to go to the real deep stuff Mm -hmm. of what's actually going on. And I guess it's important to point out too, that when we talk about high conflict couples, I, I assume some people listening might be thinking those extremes like abuse, domestic violence, like stuff like that. But of course those things are high conflict but those don't always have to be characteristics of a high conflict relationship, right? No, not at all. I think that would even go beyond a high conflict couple or what I would see as a highly distressed couple. That'd be Mm -hmm. more more dangerous, more volatile. Right, absolutely. So why do some couples tend to get stuck in the same patterns of conflict? Yeah, What I think is that we see it backwards, right? You always hear couples say like, oh, in the beginning, like, especially when they get into those like, you know, deep patterns or like it's been 10 years and now we hate each other. We can't talk. We can't, you know, 
have a day without arguing, they often will reference the beginning and say, it was so easy, right? It was so natural in the beginning. We had sex all the time. It was great. But now it's like, it's it's so hard. Why is it so hard now? We can't even see that. Like, I can't even think about going on a date with my husband or with my wife. Um, and I think that's backwards, right? Because if you actually think about the things that made the honeymoon phase great is a lot of effort and a lot of work. And so when you idealize it, you think, oh, it was just so natural, so easy. But if you actually put yourself back in that position, you were actually like calling mom and calling your best friend to see what you should wear. You were listening very well so that you know what they like and you could plan great dates. You also were listening intensively to know like what would be a good gift for an anniversary. You were going out to get that food item that they really like. You were going to buy rose petals. You were bringing that home. You were lighting a bunch of candles. You were talking to our best friends so you could plan a surprise party. Like it was actually a lot of work that made that honeymoon phase happen. And so the right way to look at it, I think, is to say, oh, actually, in the beginning, it was so much work and we've just become more lazy, more natural. And so we just got stuck in this pattern and no one actually wants to put the work in. Not that it was easy in the beginning and now it's, you know, we just can't see ourselves putting that work in. So I, I think it's just a shift in mindset. I think we just stop doing the work and that's how you get stuck. Stop putting in the effort. Yeah, that is so interesting to hear you reflect on that initial honeymoon phase because I think so many people don't think it's work because it feels so easy. You know, right. you're in that process of pursuit. Your brain is on dopamine. You're bonding. Like there's so much physiological stuff happening in that time that you're not recognizing all the actual effort, the actionable effort that you're putting into stuff. Right. And and you're right. When you shift into that next phase, what I think of as more of like a differentiated relationship, you you start feeling that it's work. And you start thinking you know a lot more about your partner than maybe you do or, you know, whatever. But so you're kind of saying people stop doing stop doing the work. Do you think most people realize when that shift is, like when it happens? I don't know if, I think sometimes it can be, you know, certain events that will highlight it, right? If you've got a couple who has experienced some kind of infidelity, that'll usually like turn the light on and say like, something's going wrong here. And then they can look back and see, oh, you know, these are the things that we stopped. This is when we stopped talking. This is when we stopped having sex. Um, but often it's just such a such a gradual shift into kind of complacency, you know, or, or comfortability, which is not a bad thing to have, right? You want to be comfortable with your partner. You want to be able to to show your full self to your partner. But it just is that continual courtship, right? Continuing to date the person that you're with that we need to focus on in order to keep that, keep that going. Yeah. Intentional action mm -hmm. that never ends, that never stops. Right. And I'm wondering what you think about this because, you know, we're both uh, millennial life. And so we see a lot of millennials in our practice. And I think generally speaking, our, our generation was born into a world where we were told ourself is really important and self-esteem was like a thing that we learned about and you know kind of this process in our culture I think that the I is important so do you see in couples that you work with that there do you see that kind of apparent push and pull of being in a relationship and kind of individuation like people having a hard time 
letting go of their own needs, wants, thoughts, beliefs for a relationship to work? Yeah, I mean, I've seen it in I've seen it both ways. I've seen a couple that comes in, one partner says like I think we've been too codependent. How do I set boundaries here to make sure that I remain an individual? So I think younger folks are trying to to figure out that balance of like how how can I be my own self or you know an individual in this relationship but then I've also seen older millennials who feel like they've already lost themselves like um you know now I'm looking back 35 or 40 and I'm like who am I because I just fully gave in to that thing and so I I think really it's about who you are and how much you value individuation um and culture too will play a role in that but yeah, just just balancing. It's, it's a hard line. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I I don't even know, but I've seen I've seen both sides of that spectrum, and I think whatever is going to work best for that couple because it will look so different depending on those people, how they grew up, how their parents showed them relationship. All of those things will factor into how much they want individual time versus couple time. Yeah, and I think you're totally right about that. It is a a fine line because you need both elements. You need a sense of self and you need the the togetherness, the couple identity. And so there's a lot of moving parts and it's not one size fits all. Um, I think I see some similar things um, with the couples that I see. So... I'm going back to what you said about like high conflict couples and their baseline is just this conflictual environment where they get into it. It might be nitty gritty stuff. I'm sure at times it probably feels painful, Mm -hmm. um, but you're just kind of in this injurious environment in your relationship. And I'm wondering what have you found are some helpful things for these kinds of couples what do you see makes it better? Yeah. Definitely and people therapy. make it better. <laughs> yeah, therapy. <laughs> um, no, but so, some of the, the things that we usually start with, the easier things to try at home, I think, are gentle startups, right? Which is um, mm. just the way that you approach conversation. I think often we get into a habit of, you know, Making not starting way, out gently. <laughs> yeah, making the way that we approach conversations less and less nice. Um, it's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You know, or why didn't you do this? Uh, so just stepping into that conversation differently might change the outcome, right? Like, um, so babe, I know that we talked about the the dishes. You know, using those pet names that you have, or just coming in the best way that you can to approach that conversation. And one other thing that helps with that is leading with purpose. So I always tell my couples earlier in the therapy stages to, before they start conversations at home, to step back, take a deep breath, to realize what am I trying to achieve out of this conversation? Because if you know what you're trying to achieve, it's easier for you to actually get that. Does that make sense? So what I'm saying is often people do things and create exactly what they don't want. So an example of that is, you know, I want my husband to do the dishes. And so the way that I try to achieve that is to nag him every day to do the dishes. Does anyone think that he does the dishes after that? No, probably not. Or maybe after the 20th nagging. But if I just want him to wash the dishes and I know that goal, then I think about, 
obviously this didn't work, right? Nagging didn't work. How can I achieve this goal? And so leading with purpose, leading with your goal will also help you to get that across to your partner and really think about like what's not worked in the past. So obviously the way that I'm doing this is not working. So what's a better way to try to achieve this purpose? And then, yeah, I think a big red stop sign is always helpful, especially when you are in therapy, when you are outside and living your life for that week before you go into session to just use that big red stop sign, meaning don't do things the same way because that is what is hurting the relationship. That's what's hindering your growth is if you continue to hurt each other, continue to make relational wounds while you're trying to clean up the other ones, it's never ending. And so when you notice that we're in the cycle, we are arguing, we are going at it, somebody just has to say stop. Someone has to just stop the conversation. Just see that big red stop sign and use it. And then I do, think you, also, do you sorry. see that, do people have a hard time, you know, kind of creating that change? Do they come back to you and are they like, oh, you know, I can't stop or it was really hard to not do the same old things? Oh, yeah. It takes a few weeks to, to really use that stop sign because, I mean, frustration is a physical thing, right? Like it's a, you have a physiological response to like getting mm-hmm. angry, right? You're like hot, your palms are sweating. You have to say this at the tip of your tongue. Like if I don't curse at him right now, like I'm not going, I have to get this out. Um, and so it's oh, hard yeah. to stop that, to tell yourself no, to put all of that down is, is really, really difficult. And so it takes a few weeks. And then I think a few crossing the line experiences to realize like I we really don't want to do this to each other and once you get to that point once you get to like the remorse for that pattern that you usually go in that really makes people turn and go okay all right we'll stop yeah I feel like it's all a huge exercise in mindfulness honestly you have to really grow that muscle of self-awareness and like I know you probably talk to high conflict couples about taking timeouts. Um, and I don't know why this was so like revolutionary for me, but when I got into relational life therapy stuff, like Terry Real talks a lot about the personal accountability for that timeout. Like it's never about saying you need a timeout, you are losing your shit and you are, you know, you need to calm down because then we become a parent. Right. It's all about that personal accountability. Like I feel myself rising. Mm-hmm. I feel myself being flooded. I need to take space. And um, I don't know if you see this with your couples, but I think even that mindset shift of like, I'm really working this stuff from the inside out be a challenge, you know, because it is totally a transformation and probably the way you're focusing your energy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all, it's all about our self-control. And I think with in-couples therapy, you actually realize a lot of it is aimed at two individuals changing, right? It's all about the way that you relate and the way that you interact. But in order for you to interact well, you often have to recognize and look back at like, what did I do to get us here, right? To recognize my fault in this and to seek and grant forgiveness. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of that is putting putting me down and not in a bad way, not put downs that way, but putting those negative reactive kind of responses down. Yeah. Yeah. I think about like simmering my inner rager. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have one. And mine, she likes to bat her eyes really, really fast. (laughs) So I can even be standing there and my husband's like, 
you're doing your eyes. I'm like, oh my God. Okay, well, I'm frustrated. (laughs) I don't even have to say words. But it's like our body knows what to do. But it's all about being mindful and choosing a different way of, of being. So I'm just curious, like one more thing as you think about like teaching couples to use the stop sign and to think about showing up differently and stuff like that. Do you see partners kind of take on these healthy changes and stuff at a different pace? Like, how do you see this typically go? Because you're right, it is like two individuals that have to kind of go inward and, and look at changing things. And do you see that like, not all the time? Are they on the same path at the same speed? Oh, all the time. That's all of it. (laughs) It's like (laughs) dream world if you get both people to change exactly at the same rate. That is like dream therapy. Um, No, yeah. What do you tell people? Yeah, if they're frustrated by that, like I'm making shifts here. I feel like my partner's not. Yeah. I mean, I think what I've seen actually is I'll point that out more than the couple even would. Because, you know, you don't want to be that person when you're in therapy with your partner that's like, they're not doing something or like pointing the finger at them. And so often I'll notice like there's weeks that have gone by. We've done the same thing every week and something's not going right, right? Like my couple's not growing. They're not changing in any way. They just keep coming back and they're not happy. And so that takes me doing some self-reflection, right? Doing what they pay me to do and going back and going, what's 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 not moving here, right? What is this blockade? And often it's, it's one partner hindering the growth only because, you know, maybe they haven't felt like that's something they want to take ownership of yet or haven't gotten to the point where they've really seen it clearly. And so gently calling that out in therapy of like, I think this is hindering growth. It's like, we can talk about, you know, this one partner and we're all comfortable. All three of us are comfortable talking about their flaws, but it seems like all three of us are not comfortable talking about your flaws. Um, tell me more about that, you know, just gently bringing that up because it, it's important and they would be mad at me if they were in therapy for five years because they didn't grow. Right. <laughs> so it's my job <laughs> to bring that up. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like some of the focus then with high conflict couples is changing interactions, like becoming self-aware to recognize when you're getting into your boiling points and what happens after that and everything. What are some of the other ways that you feel that therapy specifically helps these kinds of couples, you know, versus maybe other methods of like going out and reading a book or, you know, something else like. Yeah. I mean, I think the therapist is a huge tool, right? I always tell people therapists are professional translators. First of all, like you, you can, um, we can sit there and hear a whole argument about dishes and then go, this is actually about you caring about the other person. Right. Which is just like, what, how did you hear that? And so we just have ears that are trained that way. And so being able to translate that and point that out to them makes them better at hearing it at home. Right. So then you go home and you have an argument, you realize like, Oh, neither of us actually had like malintent. Like none of us actually want to like hurt our partner intentionally. It's usually like those deeper rooted like fears or feeling like I want to care for this person or I want to love this person well, that sends us to, you know, this negative place. And so the more that I can 
put that out there for them and translate that for them, the better they get doing it at home. And then also, I think therapists are great accountability partners, right? Sometimes couples have gotten so far, you know, left and they're like, we can't do it. And I'm like, just go home, do it for you. And they're like, we can't do it for like us. We can't do it for us right now. So I'm like, okay, do it for me. Like show up different <laughs> next week for me, you know? Um, so just having someone who they know cares about the way that their relationship moves helps too, which is pretty interesting. Cause you would think like, oh, family, family or friends, like that's the kind of support that people need. And often family and friends don't know. They want a third party. They want someone there that knows what's going on with them and also is guiding them um, collaboratively toward better health for their relationship. Oh, yeah, totally. I think it's such a huge point because family and friends are wonderful, but they don't, they typically don't have the kind of skills that a licensed clinician is going to have for how to really listen beneath the fighting and what seems to be the issue on the surface. Can you talk more about like, I mean, when you really peel back the layers of highly conflicted couples, what are some of the common relationship issues that you feel are really actually there on the deeper level? Yeah, I think I would say there's always some kind of fear going on. Um, And so it's interesting because you'll have clients come in and you'll ask them about their goals, right? Like, what are your goals for therapy. And usually they haven't had this conversation outside of it or they're just like, we need therapy. Let's go to therapy. And when you ask them their goals or what they want in their relationship, they often want the same things, but they've never said that to each other. Um, so there's some fear of, of wanting better when you get into such a negative place uh, that you don't, you don't go after it or you don't say it. And so we kind of punish our partners for not doing that either, right? Like, you clearly don't love me. You clearly don't care for me because you didn't take me out or you don't spend time with me or you don't do this when we never asked for it, you know? And you feel like, oh, I shouldn't have had to ask for it. They should be able to just know that that's what, and then then we get into reading minds. But um, Mm. yeah, it just- Another great backwards mentality. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, A fear of asking for what you want rather than punishing your partner for what you want and they don't know you want it um there's also just like deeper things i think like attachment styles family of origin things that you might be dealing with right so what your parents showed you in relationship with each other how they taught you to be in relationship are usually at the root of of how you know you interact with your partner Oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel like we could spend an hour on each of those things because oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. And I, I'm just glad you're speaking to all of that because, you know, I think you and I know as relationship experts that this is the stuff that's really going on beneath the surface of dishes and cleaning and, you know, all the things on the to-do and who's taking the kids where and all that sort of stuff. It's the deeper, deeper needs that we're just born into this world having as humans. And I think there's been a real gap in letting these skills and and that relational self-awareness be like a mainstream thing that we all know how to do. And also just like the history of our of our culture and relationships has just changed so much over the generations and decades and stuff. So I'm 100% with you on that notion that therapy can be such a huge tool because you're working with somebody that's listening to you from a completely different 
context and framework Mm -hmm. and one that really can help you get into the deeper piece of like, what do you uniquely need here? And to help people have that language. I love that idea of a therapist is like a professional translator. That's like so true. It's so true. Yeah, there's a quote that I heard a long time ago, I think through Imago therapy, but it's conflict is growth trying to happen. And I so love that. Mm -hmm. And I found it to be true personally. Like anytime I've ever gone through any form of conflict and you know, again, like I'm not talking about those extremes where, you know, you need to get out if it's an abusive situation and stuff like that. You need to like separate, remove yourself. But if it's if it's regular old conflict and feelings of frustration or lacking or longing for something more like it's it's always for me been like a growth edge. And that's been incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. Coping mechanisms that didn't work. Right. Like not so helpful coping mechanisms. And that's all therapy is about is building those helpful, healthy ones, things that actually get you the relationship that you want. Because what you've tried yeah. is not working. Not working. Yep. So what would you tell somebody who may be in like a high conflict relationship right now and might be feeling discouraged or hopeless or that, you know, they feel like they're destined to fail here? What would you say to them? Yeah. I mean, so many things, but one, I think Rome wasn't built in a day, right? (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I think these couples, they, they go through things and so many relational wounds or just, you know, patterns of communication to get to the place that they're in where they're seeking therapy. And then if weeks after they don't see a change, um, they're really discouraged and and sad. And I I understand that, right? Because once you've gotten to the point where you, you really know that you want your relationship to be different, it's hard to see yourself be the same. So I would say just, just recognizing that like, it's a, it's a tall order, right? Like, you're fighting a big battle. It's not just like the past 10 years of your relationship or the past three years of your relationship that you're fighting against, but also what we were just talking about, right? It's family of origin stuff. It's what you were, what you've been learning since you were a child. And so all of that is a lot to take on um, and to, to change, to stop those generational curses. Like I think millennials, mm-hmm. we've done a, such a great job at wanting to be different from our parents' generation, like take the good things, but then figure out how we want to change those things and mold those things for our future and our children's future. And so we have to give ourselves grace sometimes, which is not very common of us. We are all like prone to this perfectionist syndrome, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Being so dang hard on ourselves. Yeah, we got to give ourselves some grace. And so I think just recognizing that, like this, this is a really, really tall order. Let's give ourselves some time to, to live up to that and to, to really change and grow from these things. And I would also say, just focus on the commitment, right? Like if you know the end goal of this thing, that also should give you a little bit more peace. So if you come into therapy, knowing like we're going to strengthen our relationship, you may not know how to, but focus on that, right? Like know that we are committed to each other. We're going to make this work. So even when we fall short, we're both still working towards the same goal. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's so huge. And what you just said reminds me of what I kind of think is a really important piece when people are in really high conflict, um, that they don't 
jump really fast into threatening the relationship, like throwing around the D word. I'm getting divorced. I'm going to divorce you if this doesn't get better or I'm going to leave, you know, if this doesn't change Um, because it's things like that, statements like that, even if they're simply emotionally loaded pain coming out that um, I think kind of tamper with the security of having a relationship that it's that's at least secure enough to try and make healthy changes inside of absolutely absolutely yeah that's always one of the the rules so each of my couples will make rules for communication right vowing's mm-hmm. like follow those rules from this day on forward and of mm-hmm. course you know you're gonna fall short you're not gonna follow every rule um, but they mm-hmm. make them themselves and a very common one is no threats to the relationship because it really just shuts yeah. the, the other person down. And it's like, that is full hindrance to any type of growth or productive conversation. The conversation ends there once you say something like that. So, Yeah. And I, I feel like it's worth noting, too, that, you know, I think people really can want change and want a healthier relationship, but they still find themselves in the same patterns, the same patterns. It's really like they're really resisting making those changes. And I think it's important to normalize that, you know, because we want to stay in what we know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that means conflict and insecurity. Mm -hmm. I mean, many people in high conflict relationships didn't have a whole lot of secure relationship templates around them. And so the tendency is going to be to want to subconsciously stay the same And that could be resisting healthy change. So I love that you call a therapist an accountability partner because you know how to help them lean into that resistance and normalize it and not shame people for it, but help them understand it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So this is a really, really cool. I like this conversation. I think this is helpful for people that are in that space in their relationship. Are there any last comments that you have or any any tidbits or suggestions for people listening yeah i think one other thing um that's common is forgetting why you married the person you married you know so often i'll have my couples like sit down and write write down the identity of their partner like who is this person because when you get into these negative interaction cycles or these high conflict patterns of communication, I think we often want to change our partner into us, right? Like that's also something that's very common with couples is like, but why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't you just think this? Why are you not acting like me? I would do this in that situation, but we have to be able to let our partners be them. You know, if there was two of me in the, the relationship, probably wouldn't work out. And I'll ask them that too. Like, so if there was two of your partner in the relationship, would they work out together? And they're like, absolutely not. You know, they would not be good <laughs> together. Um, and so I just love recognize that it. Yeah, like two of you or two of them would not work out. There's a reason that you married this person and reminding yourself of that and then reminding yourself in those situations or in your conflict to let them be them. Like, don't be surprised by who they are. We forget about those things that we loved in the beginning, or we we just flat out don't like them after a while. We're like, I don't like that about you, but we loved that in the beginning, you know? So remind yourself of that as well. Oh my gosh, that's so true. Yeah, I can think of a few things, um, <laughs> of course, about my husband that <laughs> were probably the things that drew me to him that now I'm like, okay. Uh-huh. Um, 
But that's supposed to happen. Like, I think what we know about relationships is just so normalizing for like the changes that you experience. And I think what you're saying is so important. It's like, remember to be curious and always be like in tune with who your partner is, not who you want them to be or need them to be, but Mm -hmm. who they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say let them be them. And you can also always, right, a marriage is a partnership. It is continual growth together. You always want to be making each other better. But at the basis of things, you want to be able to let them be who they are. Boom. Mic drop. I love it. Thank you so much, Nia. This has been a really fun conversation and I'm excited to just learn more about how you work with your clients. And um, yeah, so for anybody that is interested in in learning more about Nia, you can hit up our website, millenniallifecounseling.com. Yeah. Thanks again. (laughs) Of course. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to leave us a review. If you're interested in learning more, you can find me at millennialrelationships.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also join our online Facebook community. Just search Millennial Relationships with Liz Higgins. I'm going live every week to talk with you about your relationship wellness and practice. I look forward to seeing you in there.